Our text, which we'll be considering this morning for our devotion, comes to us from the book of the prophet Micah, chapter 2, rather chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. The holiday season is a crazy time of year, isn't it? The end of the semester brings with it project deadlines and final schedules. Thanksgiving and Christmas usually cause families and friends to move around in an effort to be together for the holidays. And especially in these Midwest road conditions, that can be chaotic. Stores and malls are packed to capacity with people who are frantically trying to find that perfect holiday gift for their loved ones. Now there's a word that seems to be quite applicable for this chaos and this insanity that seems to encompass November and December every year. The word that comes to my mind is bedlam. Though it isn't a word that gets thrown around very much these days, it is a word that relates to the Christmas season for two reasons. The first, one that we already described, that hectic atmosphere that surrounds the holiday season. The other reason comes from the actual word bedlam and its origin. You see, bedlam is a shortened word, a contraction. There was, in London, a famous psychiatric hospital for the mentally insane that was named Bethlehem Royal Hospital. But in time, people merely came to refer to it as Bedlam. And so, Bethlehem, the name of the town in which Christ was born, became Bedlam, a word associated with madness and confusion. There seems to be plenty of Bedlam surrounding that first Christmas, wasn't there? Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, conceived in her old age and bore a son, John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and announced to her that though she was a virgin, she would conceive and bear the Christ child. Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant before they had consummated their marriage and had determined to set her aside and to end the marriage until an angel appeared to him in a dream and explained the situation. And on top of all of this, the Romans had called a census which demanded that Mary and Joseph return to Bethlehem, their ancestral home. When they got to Bethlehem, there was no room for them at the inn, so they stayed with the cattle. Mary gave birth and laid the Savior of the world in a feeding trough. Angels appeared to, of all people, shepherds abiding in the field, announcing to them the joyous news of the Messiah's birth and instructing them to go and see for themselves. Now this is a lot of crazy in a very short amount of time. Anyone looking from the outside in at the original Christmas story would surely wonder about God's control of the situation. Now this is where our text for this morning comes in. God caused the prophet Micah to write 700 years 
prior to the events of that first Christmas. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. The human perspective would say that this is crazy, but amidst the bedlam, we see Bethlehem, as God intended it to be seen, the birthplace of his son, Jesus. What mankind sees as a jumble of random events, like yarn sitting in a messy heap, God reveals in his scriptures to be an intricately woven tapestry that reads in big, bold letters, Jesus is the Messiah. This tapestry began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. That child in the manger was spoken of by God when he told the serpent that the woman's seed would bruise his head and he his heel. That prophecy was narrowed down to the line of Abraham when God promised him that through his descendant, all nations of the world would be blessed. And that prophecy grew even more specific when God told David through the prophet Nathan that one of David's line would be raised up who would rule Israel forever. However, these ordered promises, these messianic prophecies about his birth were not the only prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. It's easy to look at that cute baby in the nativity set and forget exactly why Jesus came down to earth. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Christ was born to die for our sins, because by our sins we ought to be condemned. These sins aren't chaotic or random either. The Hebrew in this verse is very colorful when it says the word iniquity, which literally means to be bent or crooked. God's law in the Ten Commandments and written on our hearts shows us clearly a straight road that we ought to follow, and yet we spend most of our time in the ditch. Romans 8, 7, The carnal mind is enmity against God, yet... By his stripes, we are healed. No, there was no bedlam about Bethlehem that first Christmas night. There was no bedlam about the cross on Good Friday either. According to God's perfect plan, you and I are counted righteous before God, reconciled and forgiven all of our sins. And so it is at Christmas time that we look backward on all that God has promised us about the Messiah, which Jesus fulfilled for our benefit, so we may know that he is the Christ, the Savior of the world. And now we look forward into the seeming bedlam of the future, which we cannot predict, those future days and years, knowing that the same God who so masterfully coordinated your salvation has every intention of bringing you to it with a purpose and an order that surpasses and subdues all the chaos and bedlam. Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, 
the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Amen. We will sing this morning hymn 362, verses 1, 2, and 4. 362, 1, 2, and 4.